this uh, Christmas season. We've been spending time in lots of places of Scripture, and we're going to do the same thing again today. So I can't really invite you to open your Bibles to one place of Scripture because we'll be in several this morning. But two weeks ago, uh, we looked at this idea of good gifts at Christmas, and we saw that good gifts are worth waiting for. We looked through several places in the Old Testament where God gives these uh, promises of a Savior, of a Redeemer, of a, of a shepherd, of a king, of a serpent crusher, promises that were waited for by God's people for hundreds, even thousands of years, promises that are all fulfilled in Jesus, born at Christmas, the Son of God, God in flesh, born to Mary and Joseph to live a sinless life and die for our sins. The next week, last week, we saw that good gifts are not just worth waiting for, but good gifts inspire great gratitude. And we looked in the Gospel of Luke at the response of the shepherds and of Mary herself, how they erupt in in public praise of God for his good gift of a Savior, and how Mary uh, goes inward and and contemplates deeply in a private way the, the great gift that is Jesus. And we were encouraged by God's word to both praise God publicly, show public gratitude for God's gift of Christ at Christmas, and to also, on the other hand, uh, take time at Christmas to turn inward, to reflect personally upon the gift that is Jesus and all that comes with that. This week, I'd like to sum up that sermon series in our year with a sermon I've entitled, Good Gifts Are Worth Sharing. Good gifts are worth sharing. They're worth waiting for, they inspire great gratitude, and they're worth sharing. Sharing has taken on a a different meaning, that word to share something in our Facebook and Instagram culture. Sharing is, uh, uh, to share something is to click a button on a post that you see that comes up in your feed that will, that will show that post to other people who can see it also. Sharing looks like taking a picture of a good meal that you have at, uh, I don't know, Tucano's or some other fancy restaurant here in Albuquerque. You can tell how, how fancy our family is when we go to eat out. Taking a picture of your Big Mac and, you know, posting that on Facebook or Twitter or whatever and be like, hey, this is an awesome meal, right? We, we share in a totally different way, or just that word sharing has taken on a completely different meaning now to to just mean to like put something out there for other people to see. There's a different understanding about sharing that, that goes back further and I think better defines that word to share, which is not just to to. Uh, put up a picture or, or point other people in a particular direction or, or talk about the, the, the goodness of a particular meal or an experience or a person that you saw, but to, but to share in the sense of actually, physically, verbally, personally inviting another individual to share an experience with you, to, to experience what you have experienced. Sharing a good meal is like not just taking a picture of what you ate at McDonald's or Tucano's or, I don't know, name another fancy restaurant. Not just taking a picture of it and putting it on social media, but taking a good friend or a loved one or someone you know that needs to experience this meal and taking them with you and buying that meal for them. Sharing a meal that way. Sharing a a good movie. You go out and see a movie, as many of us do at Holiday time, all sorts of blockbusters coming out. You see a movie, Frozen 2, I don't know, that just blows your mind. This is an amazing movie. 
Sharing that experience is more than just posting on Facebook, Frozen 2, awesome, right? All caps, exclamation points, right? Sharing that movie would be to pay for someone's ticket to take them to go see Frozen 2 with you because it was so great. Sharing experiences, like not just taking pictures of your vacation, but taking people on vacation with you. Saying to someone, look, the next time I go to X and such place, you have to come with me. You can't miss out on this. Sharing people in this, uh, sharing with people in the sense of inviting them to experience what you've experienced, not just to see what you've done, but to live it also. When we talk about the gospel, when we talk about Jesus being a good gift worth sharing, we don't mean that he's a good gift worth taking a picture of and saying, Jesus is awesome, all caps, exclamation point on social media, end of story. When we talk about sharing the gospel, when we talk about sharing Jesus, what we mean is inviting people to experience Christ with us. Knowing Jesus is too good to let other people not know anything about it. Walking with Jesus, knowing the gift that is Christ born at Christmas is too great a gift to keep to myself. And it's, and it's too good a gift to just tell other people about or to just post about on Instagram. It's something I have to bring someone along with me to see and to experience, to know, to have their life changed by. Good gifts are worth sharing. The gift of salvation through faith in Jesus is a gift worthy of inviting others to experience with us. As we look at several passages of Scripture today, I hope that we would be reminded of the gift of salvation, of, of being forgiven of our sins, of being restored to God. That gift applied to our own souls. I, I hope that we would, would, would be reminded that that gift is worthy of being shared with others. And I don't mean just clicking a button on your favorite social media platform, but sharing it in the sense of inviting others into this kind of life as well. Dear friends, this morning, I would invite you to share the gift of the gospel, first of all, because it explains our place in the world. Why is it a gift worth sharing? The gospel, Jesus, is a gift worth sharing because it explains our place in the world. It tells us, first of all, that we are the special creation of God. This goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we read these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We are the special creation of God. Not just us, but, but everything that exists. From the, the largest stars in the galaxy, in the universe, to the smallest atom. All of it, a smallest particle of, of existence. All of it has been made by God. And here's this wonderful kind of wild mystery about God that, that is, that is uh, explained to us in Scripture, that God is not just uh, uh, this monolithic uh, creature or being, but that he is complex in a sense, that, that God exists, as the Bible says, in, in, a tri, in a triune sort of existence. There is one God who exists as three persons. There's, there's not three different uh, 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 manifestations of God, but three persons of God, all in the one same divine God. And, and the Bible relays that to us as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three are uh, totally God, 100% God, and the same God. There are not three different ones, but they're all the same God. And yet at the same time, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Father, and likewise back around the triangle. There's nothing else in human existence to compare the Trinity to. 
And if we were to try to, we would totally misunderstand God or make him out to be something other than what Bible says that he is. But this is the mystery of, of who God is, that even in the beginning, the son, the eternal son of God, who, who takes on flesh in the baby Jesus at Christmas, he was present at creation. Right? Jesus was, was there putting everything together, speaking everything into existence. We're the special creation of God, not a God who is far away, but a God who is infinitely near to us, a God who takes on flesh in the man Jesus Christ as he was born 2,000 years ago. The gospel explains our place in the world, that we're the special creation of God, and it explains that we exist because of God's continued care for us. If you have your Bibles open, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. In this letter that Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he unwraps, he unveils for the church this wonderful truth, this wonderful understanding of who Jesus is and, and how he is uh, active in creation, not, not just uh, speaking it into existence, but active in and through, continuing to care for it. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says this, that for by him, by Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus made, the eternal son of God made everything and he made everything for himself. It all belongs to him. He owns it all. Verse 17 of Colossians 1 says, and he is before all things and in him, catch this, all things hold together. All things hold together. The reason that our bodies don't go flying apart into millions, billions of molecules and atoms at any given moment is not because of strong nuclear forces within the chemicals that make up our bodies. The reason that we don't go flying into a million billion particles at any given moment is because Jesus is holding it all together. We exist we continue to exist. We live and breathe and have our, our movement all because God, through his son, continues to care for us, his special creation. Not only is God the beginning of all things, not only is he the one that speaks everything into existence, but he's the very sustenance. He's the very end. He's the goal. He's the purpose for everything. The gospel explains our place in the world and, and it tells us that ultimately everything is not about us. That we're not the center of the universe, but that God is. But listen, the gospel is good news and it explains our place in the world as God's special creation and, and our existence as a result of his continued care. And that is a really good thing for us. Knowing our place in the world, knowing our place in the universe is good because it is in knowing our place in the universe from which we de derive our, our meaning and significance for life. Your life is full of meaning. Your life is full of significance. Your life, dear friend, has value. Not because of the job that you have, not because of your status in society, not because you're particularly good looking or well liked by others. Your life has meaning, significance, and value, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. That is a really good place to have your sense of meaning, significance, and value. Because people lose jobs all the time. Good friends die. Our bodies get sick. 
the things that, that, we try to fi- that, that we try to use to fill our lives with meaning fail constantly. Know, dear friend, that the Bible tells you that your life has meaning, significance, and value, not because of who you are or what you've been able to amass for yourself or to do for yourself, but because of who God is. He is the one who has made you in his image to know, love, and worship him. And it is through him that you have your very existence. And it is through him that you are breathing right now and hearing my voice. And God bless those of you who can see, seeing my face. All of it because God is is intimately involved in every movement of of every atom and, and particle of the universe. Your life has meaning, significance, and value because of who God is. This God who created everything that we see, know, and and experience. And it is that God in whom all of our meaning, value, and significance lies. It is that God who took on flesh in the baby Jesus 2,000 years ago. If that doesn't blow your mind, just think a little bit more about it. You don't have to think harder, just, just... Think on that mystery that the God in whom all things have their existence took on flesh as a vulnerable vulnerable baby to live amongst us, to be not God who is far away, but God who is near, God who is with us, Emmanuel. The gift of the gospel tells us that when Jesus was born, the creator of all things came to live among his creation. Share the gift of the gospel, friends, because it explains our place in the world. Share the gift of the gospel because it explains also what is wrong with our world. The gospel is a gift. Jesus is a gift worth sharing, not just because in understanding who he is, we understand who we are, but in understanding who he is, we also understand what's wrong with the world that we live in. The gospel tells us that things aren't how they're supposed to be. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, as God is wrapping up his work of creation, we read that God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. In the verses leading up to this, as God creates everything, the sun, moon, stars, earth, land, mountains, seas, animals, even mankind, at every point along the way, he says, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And when it's all done, he says, this is very good. But we look around the world, we look at the world around us now, and we see things like death. We see things like sickness. We experience natural disasters. We witness moral evil, children dying, nations stricken by famine, poverty around the world, homelessness in our own city. We look around at the world in which we live, and we say, this is not very good. Why then, if God is good, are there so many things that just seem to be wrong? If Genesis 1.31, God says that he looked at everything that he had made, behold, it was very, very good, then, then why do we look around and see things to be very, very bad? Things are not how they're supposed to be. Things are not the way that, that, that they were right after creation. What's the problem? Where did it all go wrong? The gospel tells us, friends, that we are the problem. We're the problem. The gospel explains what is wrong with the world. Things are not how they're supposed to be, and we are the problem. Why is there death and famine and sickness and moral evil and all of these things in the world? It's your fault. 
and it's my fault. In Genesis chapter 3, just a couple chapters after God creates everything, says all of this is very, very good, we witness the, the fall from perfect relationship with God of our first parents, Adam and Eve. There's Adam and Eve in the garden, eat from the one tree from which God had forbidden them to eat. And in so doing, they break everything. We read in the curses to Adam and Eve both in Genesis chapter 3 that as a result of disobeying God's command, as a result of no longer trusting in his good provision, but seeking to rely upon their own wisdom and their own efforts, in so doing, everything is broken. Not just their relationship with one another. Uh, Death and sickness are not the only things to enter into the world when Adam and Eve sin and fall away from God. But all of creation breaks. All of it is, is, is scarred, is, is marred, is, is harmed and hampered by this sin. There, there's such a, a relationship between the, the, the creation outside of humanity and, and mankind's existence to care for what God has made that when, when man falls away from his relationship with God, everything else breaks too. If you have your Bible still open in the New Testament, turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 20 through 32. These verses will be also on the screens behind me. And so if you can't flip there that quickly, that's fine. Just follow along on the screen. Paul writes to the church at Rome explaining what's wrong with the world. These words, just listen. It's a longer passage, I know, but just listen. He says in verse 20 of Romans 1, that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. And so they, so mankind, are without excuse. What Paul means is that we can look around at at creation. We can look at the world outside of ourselves and see a particular kind of order and, and, and a working to it that says there is a God who made this. This stuff doesn't just come about by accident. And in verse 21, Paul continues, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile. That means pointless, meaningless in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. When we said, God, I've got this on my own. I see that you made the world, but I'm going to live in it the way that I want to live in it. What we do is we, we darken our hearts. We, we hide them in the shadow of our own rebellion against God. Claiming to be wise, he says, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And because of this, therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the, create, the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And in verse 28, Paul continues, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up. He gave them over. He let them do what they wanted to. He gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Why are things so bad? Why is the world not the way that it should be? Because of us. Paul is not here just throwing Adam and Eve under the bus. He's not saying it's all their fault. 
in sinning, Adam and Eve became sinners. And all of us in being born from Adam and Eve, descending from their line, all of us are born with sinful hearts. Hearts that want to do our thing, our way. Hearts that, that though, the, though we recognize that there is a God, that there is something outside of us that is controlling everything in the universe, that even though we recognize that, we still would rather do things our own way. We'd rather worship, the, uh, give our, our devotion, give our obedience to either created things or even to ourselves rather than to the immortal God. Paul gives a laundry list of different kinds of sins that people have been guilty of over millennia. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander, hating God, insolence, haughtiness, uh, boasting, being inventors of evil. That's wild. I have like this picture of Thomas Edison in my mind, just staying up late at night, thinking of new ways to do evil things. Disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Friends, you're in there somewhere. I'm in there a lot of places. The ways that we rebel against God are manifold. And the ways that we rebel against God are are not just big things. Not just like Holocaust-level evil. Right, but the ways that we rebel against God are even in the small lies that we tell our spouses or our children. In the, the small selfish acts of passing by a person in need when, when, when there's an opportunity and ability for us to, to help them. The way that we rebel against God, it takes on all kinds of forms. And so I, I don't think I would have to convince you that you in your own life, in some way or another, have done something for yourself, for your own good, at the expense of somebody else. We look at the world around us and we see all of this moral evil and all of these problems and, and, we, and, and we could easily say all of these things would be fixed if people would just be nicer to each other. All of the poverty and, and famine would all be fixed if we would just give uh, of everything that we have to fix that problem, to, to provide resources to those people who don't have food or don't have uh, uh, adequate resources. There would be no Holocaust if stupid Hitler could have just learned to love Jews or at least live civilly alongside them. We wouldn't have evil dictators like Pol Pot and Genghis Khan and Joseph Stalin if, if folks would just learn to be a little bit nicer. And yet here's the problem. None of us can really do that. Much as we try, as hard as we can, We can never not be selfish. We can never not be selfish. If everyone would just quit looking out for their own interests and try to care for other people, there would be no problems in the world. And the the problem is, though, with all of that, is that our hearts are the problem. It's not our actions. It's not the things that we do. It's the things that we want. And what we want, what my heart wants, is for me to be happy, even at the expense of other people. What's wrong with the world? us. We're sinners. We've rebelled against God's good design for us. And dear friends, it's into that broken, messed up, dirty, terrible, sin-filled world that the eternal Son of God takes on flesh to be born a baby. Are you kidding me? What kind of God does that? In a world full of selfishness, 
the one eternal God commits the ultimate act of selflessness. He gives himself to be born in a vulnerable position as a servant in in humble stature for people who hate him. Dear friends, the good news of Christmas is worth sharing because it not only tells us what our place is in the world, but it also tells us what's wrong with the world. And thirdly, the good news of Christmas doesn't just, it doesn't leave us with all of the bad news, right? That the world is a mess and, and, and we're the problem, but it also begins to give us an answer. The gospel is worth sharing because it points us to hope and to life. The good news of Jesus being born at Christmas, living a life without sin, dying on the cross for the sins of mankind who said to God, I hate you, I can do it on my own. The good news of his resurrection from the dead is worth sharing because it points us to hope and to life. It teaches us, the gospel teaches us that Jesus is the rescue from the problem of us. Jesus is not the rescue from the problem that other people create for us, but Jesus is the rescue to the problem we have created for ourselves which is brokenness uh, in our relationship with God, which is a, a fracture in, in, in our friendship with God in the design for which we have been created. Listen to what, again, what Paul says to the pastor Titus in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. He says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves, to various passions and pleasures. What a way to picture how we live our life being selfish, that we're slaves. We are are in bondage to our own passions and desires. I can't but keep myself from doing the things that I really shouldn't do. We're passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works that were done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Why would God seek to be born a baby in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago to save us? Not because there's anything good in me, not because there's anything good in you, but because he's merciful, because he delights in not giving the just punishment to those who deserve it. Is according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration. That means to be born again, to be born anew, by renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified, that means being made right with God by his grace, his gift, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The gospel points us to hope and to life. It shows us that Jesus is the rescue from the problem that is us. Dear friends, the Bible teaches us that Jesus was not just born a baby in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, but they lived a life without sin. As God in flesh, he never rebelled against God the Father. He never sought to do his own will over the will of God. And he did so so that he could die as a sinless sacrifice for us, for you, for me, for the billions upon billions of people that live in the world now and have lived even before this moment. Jesus Christ was born a baby in a manger in Bethlehem so he could live a sinless life and die for the problem, for us. 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus being born at Christmas to live a sinless life, to die for sins, be raised from the dead. Is good news worth sharing also because it shows us that Jesus is the giver of new life. We are the problem. In our sin, we have created death for ourselves. To, to, to be removed, to have fellowship with God broken in such a way is to be removed from, that, from the, the, the author of life, the creator of all things. To be separate from God is to be dead, to experience death physically and to be dead spiritually. And yet Jesus comes that he might be the giver of new life. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, about who he is. This is in the context of his teaching about him being the good shepherd, the one that was promised to the people of Israel through the prophet Ezekiel, the divine son of David who would lead and guide and guard the people of God. Jesus says this in John 10, 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, life without end, life for ages and ages and ages, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. Remember, God creates everything through his own power and for himself. And those who are saved by grace in Jesus belong to him. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the Father are one, says Jesus. Because he is God in flesh, Jesus Christ has the authority to give what only God can give. Forgiveness of your sins and a new spiritual nature to cause you to be born again. And best of all, he gives you life everlasting. In his own presence, in the presence of God, the father, our creator, the the one who, who we rebelled against, the king that we were treasonous traitors toward has taken on flesh in a baby, Jesus, 2000 years ago to bring us back to God. Different share the gospel. Bring others with you to experience Jesus. Don't don't just Snapchat this thing, but take people with you to see Jesus himself who has power to bring forgiveness of sin and a new life, a new nature, and the hope of life eternal. The gospel is worth sharing because it it points us to hope and to life, a a, a resolution, a solution to the problem of us as we rebelled against God who made us and gave us our place in the world. Dear friends, know that there is hope for the desperate situation of your sin. And there is hope for a desperate, hurting, dark, sinful world. And there's hope for a future and life in the face of brokenness, no matter what you're experiencing and no matter how bad things may be outside of us, in the world around us, there is hope and there is life in Jesus. There is hope and there is life in Jesus. The eternal son of God took on flesh as a baby, born in a manger, not just to be ogled and adored for his cute looks and his chubby cheeks, but to fix what's wrong with the world. That's why Christmas is good news. That's why Jesus is worth knowing and following and loving and seeking, because he fixes what's wrong with you. Anybody here got a problem? Raise your hand. Good. Good. Children, my children, you may raise your hand. 
Just kidding. I love you girls. We all got problems. And the greatest problem that all of us have is ourself. I want what Stephen wants way more than I want what God wants. And that's why Jesus was born. To say, no, Stephen, there's a better way. It's my way. It requires that that, that you be done with yourself, that you quit the problem. Recognize that your selfishness is a problem and quit it. Stop it and follow me. The gospel is worth sharing forth and finally, dear friends, not just because it shows us our place in the world and and not just because it explains what's wrong with the world and, and not just because it gives us hope and life, it points us to a future, but the gospel is worth sharing, worth inviting people to experience because it shows us what we must do. The gospel shows us what we must do. What do we do with these truths that, 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 We exist in the world as God's special creation, that we have broken the world by our sin. And what must we do knowing that Jesus was born at Christmas so that he could die and then be raised on Easter for the forgiveness of sins? Now what? Having heard that, now what? First, turn and believe. Turn and believe. Turn from your sinfulness. Turn from yourself. Turn from your own agenda. Stop doing that and believe in Jesus. Believe that he is the eternal son of God made flesh who died for sins and rose again from the grave. This is not just the content of the apostles, Peter, Paul, uh, Peter and, and, and John and James and, and, and Paul in the New Testament. It's not just the content of, of that that, that in order to, knowing the the truths of who God is and who we are and what's wrong with the world, to turn and believe, to repent of sin and trust Jesus. But this is also what Jesus proclaimed in Mark's gospel, chapter 1, verse 15. Mark describes Jesus beginning his earthly ministry, his earthly teaching this way. He says, the time, this is what, these are Jesus' words as he's beginning his ministry. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Turn from your sin and believe in the hope of a Savior who was promised to God's people and to the people of the whole world. Believe it. We know that Savior is Jesus. Mark describes in the beginning of his gospel that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, again, Romans chapter 10, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and by that he means if you, if you say out loud because the orientation of your heart is that Jesus is Lord of my life, he's king of my life, it's his will that I'm seeking and not my own. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you want restoration with your relationship with God? Do you want hope for this life and new life now and, and life with God forever? Do you desire to have the problem of sin worked out of you, uh, begun to be fixed and, and removed from your own life? Then this is what you do. If you want to be saved from the dangerous position that is sin and doing life on your own terms, you turn from, from sin and you believe in Jesus. The gospel shows us what we must do. We must turn and believe, and we must believe. We must trust specifically in Jesus Christ, not trusting in ourselves, not trusting in another God, not trusting in in other people to do good things for us, but to trust in the person of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, born in humble estate, who lived a life without sin, 
who died the death that we deserved and was raised from the dead. If you want to be saved, if you want to know God, if you want to to even share the gospel with other people, you have to know this part. Inviting people to share the gospel with you, to experience the gospel with you, is inviting them to believe, to trust in Jesus. Jesus himself says this on a dark night when he was visited by a leading teacher among the leaders of the the Jews, a man named Nicodemus. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, some of the most quotable and memorable verses in all of Scripture, Jesus himself says this to Nicodemus. He says, for God so loved the world. By that he means God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Not he who just believes that God exists. Right? Jesus does not say just believe that there is a God, period, and do better. And whoever believes in him, in the Son of God, who is Jesus, will not perish, will not be separated from God in this life or in the life to come, but they will have eternal life. Listen to verse 17. Jesus says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Dear friends, the gospel is worth sharing because it shows us what we must do. And what we must do is stop trying. When we try to fix the problem of sin, we only make it worse. It's like me trying to fix the brakes on my car. It is not going to go well. All the YouTube videos, all of the manuals that are available to me will not make me a better mechanic. And as soon as I start doing it, I'm just going to make a bigger problem than, than I started with. I've got to take that issue to someone else. I've got to take that to someone who's got training, who's got certification, who's an expert in the matter. Dear friends, all that much is true and even more so when it comes to the problem of our sin. We can't fix the problem we've created because we've created it. And every effort that we give to fix the problem of our sin only makes the problem worse. Have you ever lied to a family member and then tried to make it better on your own? Like more than just apologizing, you, you go out of your way to, to, to like overdo it in, in acts of kindness or, or good deeds toward them. Like even in pursuing that, somehow it, it doesn't make up for the lie that you told. You just, it just makes it worse. What you really need to do is go to them and just say, I really screwed up. And there's nothing I can do to make it better. Will you forgive me? Friends, that's what we need to do when we Come to God when we see our, the problem of sin for what it is. is to recognize it and go to God saying, God, I have really screwed up. My life is a mess because I've tried to do it on my own terms. The world is a mess because it's full of 8 billion people who are trying to do life on their own terms. God, what I need is you. I need you to fix this problem. And I know that you've done it through your son, Jesus, who, who died on the cross for my sins. I'm making him my Lord. God, I'm believing that you raised him from the dead. He's king of my life now. My life's in your hands. Please forgive me. Save me. The gospel is worth sharing. It's worth inviting people to enjoy with you because it shows us what we must do, how to have this problem solved. 
Friend, have you known the good gift that is knowing Jesus born at Christmas 2,000 years ago who died for sins and rose from the dead? Do you know that good gift? Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord, believed in your heart God raised him from the dead? Have you given your life over to his control that you might be shaped and changed and transformed daily by the work of God's own Holy Spirit in you? Have you known that good gift? Tell somebody. Share that good gift. And I don't mean typing out Jesus is awesome, exclamation point, exclamation point, all caps on Facebook. I don't mean clicking share or like or retweet on somebody else's post about how good Jesus is. I mean invite someone personally to experience this good gift of Jesus with you. Share with them the good news that that the gospel explains our place in the world and why things are so bad, how it points us to hope in life and shows us what we must do to be saved. Share that news. It is worth sharing. It's worth giving our lives to share if need be. Dear friend, do you need to know Jesus this way? Are you not what, you would not, not define yourself yet, call yourself yet a Christian. Yet you know that there is meaning to life outside of yourself and, and, and outside of what other people ascribe to it. You know that there's a problem in your, in your own life and, and issues that you just can't stop, selfishness that you just can't, can't prevent yourself from expressing. Do you know these things and want to be delivered from them? Then hear the good news of who Jesus is. Hear the good news of Christmas, that the eternal Son of God, the one in whom your life takes on meaning and significance and value, the one who holds your very life together, was born to give his life to save you from yourself. Do you need to know Jesus this way? Trust him. Make him Lord of your life. Give your life over to his control. Receive the good gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, that good gift that is worth sharing, worth inviting others to enjoy with you. I can think of no better way to end a year for you, friend, who are not a Christian yet, or maybe thought you were, but in hearing the gospel this morning, you realize you aren't. You've been calling yourself a Christian, but you realize you've never really turned from sin and given your life all the way over to the Lordship of Jesus. I can think no better way to end the year than by giving your life to him. No better way to start a new year than by giving your life to Jesus. And not as a New Year's resolution, but as a new life solution that is given by the God who made you. In the uh, Charlie Brown Peanuts Christmas movie, there's a scene in which all of the Peanuts characters are standing in a playhouse and Charlie Brown cries out, Does anyone know the meaning of Christmas? And Linus, quiet, Shy Linus, you know, he's the one that's always carrying the blanket around with him. He says, yeah, sure, I know. And he walks out in the middle of the stage in the playhouse. And, and Linus says uh, words that are not his own. He, he quotes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Chapter 2, verses uh, 8 and following. He tells the story of the angel army appearing to the shepherds on the hillside the night that Jesus was born. Luke chapter 2, verse 9 says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them. As Linus, you can envision him, this ratty old blanket. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, and at this point, take notice of the film when you watch it. At this point, Linus drops the blanket that never leaves his hand. They were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, blanket drop, 
Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, so on and so forth. When Linus drops the blanket at fear not, I don't think Charles Schultz was messing around. I don't think it was an accident. It wasn't, it wasn't one of those uh, 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 messed up scenes in movies that people go hunting for, you know, where the clock changes time and nobody picked it up in post-production or whatever. Linus's blanket does not leave his hand by accident because that's who Linus is. He has this blanket for security, for, for help. It's the thing that he holds on to to get him through life. And yet when Linus gets to the proclamation of the birth of Jesus, who is Christ the Lord, when, when Linus, who is afraid of everything and has to have a blanket with him all the time, when Linus gets to the point of the Christmas story where the angels say to the terrified shepherds, fear not, what does he do? He drops his blanket. Why? Because Linus is no longer afraid. We all have things that we hold on to as security blankets in life. Those of us who do not know Christ, we hold on to our status, our jobs, our our family, whatever sort of meaning, significance that we can make for our own lives. We hold on to those things and we don't drop them in the face of the news that Jesus is born because these are the things that have been getting us through, right? What Linus shows us is that, dear friends, when Jesus is on the scene, when Jesus enters not only the world, but when he enters your life as you turn from sin to trust in him, you can drop all of that without a moment's hesitation. All of that gets lost in the scene of the greatness and the glory of Jesus. Because when you come face to face with the God of the universe who took on flesh to save you from the problem that is yourself, when you come face to face with that Jesus, there's nothing left to fear. Christian, we hold on to blankets too. We don't share the good news that is Jesus born at Christmas, sinless life lived for us, died on the cross for our sins, raised from the dead. We don't share that in the sense of inviting people to experience that with us because we have things that we're holding on to also. My friendships are going to be broken if, if I share this news that people need to turn from sin and trust in Jesus. My family's going to reject me. I could lose my, my job. My, 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 my livelihood would be impacted. Christian, we who hold on to things, we who fear things in the world and and in so doing hold on to, I don't know, whatever it is that we can hold on to to give us security, we've got to drop that blanket too. Because even we as Christians, we need to regularly come face to face with the God of grace and glory born at Christmas, raised on Easter to show us there's nothing in this world to fear. Dear friend, whether you're a Christian and you struggle to share the good news of Jesus because there are things that, that, that creep into your heart that keep you from doing that. You're not yet a Christian. And, and you can't imagine following Jesus because of the cost that it will bring to your life. Whatever it is, whatever you're holding on to today, hear the word of the angel to the shepherds, fear not. Coming face to face with Jesus is a, a terrifying experience. The God of all grace and glory is not easy to look at when we know how sinful we are. But dear friends, there is no reason to fear if your life is in him. Turn from sin. Trust in Jesus. Fear not. Drop the blanket. What's stopping you from sharing the good news of Christmas? Not just today, but every day.
whatever it is, fear not. Fear no more. Trust your life to Jesus and share the gospel because it is a gift worthy of inviting others to experience. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song of response to God's word as we prepare our hearts to leave in obedience to him. And this morning, oftentimes during that, that response time, I'll invite you to come down if you're needing to make a decision to follow Jesus today. And uh, what I'm going to do is slightly different this morning. We're all going to stand. We're all going to sing uh, with hearts of prayer and, and, and desires to be obedient to Jesus. But friend, if you need to make a decision to follow Jesus today, uh, the way that we've been talking about today, if you need to receive the gift of salvation through faith in Jesus, um, I'm just going to, normally I stand at the back door to greet people as we leave. Today, I'm going to stay up here at the front If you need to talk to me about your life with Christ, what it means, how to know him, how to be saved from your sin, come up here to to the front uh, as people are exiting and let me know this morning. Don't leave today with any questions about your relationship with Christ. Don't leave today with any doubts about, uh, about who you are in the world and where your value and meaning and significance come from. Don't leave today without the problem of your sin being fixed through faith in Jesus today. Come talk to me. Come talk to me. Share the the hope and life that is in Jesus. I want nothing more than to point you to him and to invite you to come along with us, all we who are members at First Baptist West Albuquerque, to experience the joy of knowing Jesus, born at Christmas, raised on Easter, to make us right with God.